hang on. What do I hear in the distance? Is that... An address from friend of the show, Brenton O'Neill. In the wake of the tragic Ethiopian Airlines plane crash last week, the Western liberal intelligentsia have been taking it upon themselves to become aviation experts. The keyboard warrior journalists of Twitter are asking hysterical questions like, is the Boeing 737 MAX safe? And what is being done to prevent another such tragedy? One thing they seem to have picked up on is the idea that Boeing should not sell so-called safety features as extras, but that rather safety should be included as standard. But should the onus of safety be on the manufacturer of the plane or on the airline for buying it? Why should should Boeing have to give away their patented safety features for free just because hundreds of people might die? Deaths in aviation are of course unfortunate, but this is the thin end of the wedge. If Boeing have to start giving away safety equipment for free with their $100 million planes, then where does it end? Should airlines start getting jacuzzis installed on their planes for free, or have them fitted with petting zoos at no extra cost? This is madness. Beyond the frothing of the anglophone chattering classes, though, Boeing are actually being investigated by the FBI over this. Look, should we get to the bottom of this tragedy and why it happened? Certainly. But should that be left to government bureaucrats? Absolutely not. Boeing should be regulated by the free market. If they continue to kill their passengers, then surely people will switch to a different plane. If I were killed by a Boeing plane, I would certainly do this. (laughs) We should allow... A free and fair debate in the marketplace of ideas. If plane crashes are truly as tragic as we all believe them to be, then why are we so afraid to hear out Boeing's ideas about them being a part of the travel experience? If we're right, then we should easily be able to best them in a healthy and robust discussion by shining a light on their arguments. Personally, I believe that liberal-minded people in the grand libertarian tradition have a free market duty to travel by private plane, enabling them to bring guests of all ages with them to their private island or private (laughs) islands, all while enjoying the relaxed, deregulated atmosphere of international waters with celebrity friends. <laughs> Boeing being told to include safety features for free is an attack on their freedom of speech, which is always the first victim in these situations. We saw this again with the tragic attack in Christchurch, New Zealand, where almost 50 Muslims were shot dead by a maniac as they prayed. No sooner had condolences been offered to the victims than the Trotskyite commentariat of North London were insisting that hardworking newspaper columnists and YouTubers could somehow be to blame for radicalising this Islamophobe simply because they regularly advanced Islamophobic points and encouraged their audience to be Islamophobic. I personally have nothing but the utmost sympathy for the victims of this heinous attack, but in some ways I envy them that they never had to live to see this devastating attack on the freedom of speech. As a wise man once said, the pen is mightier than the sword. And truly, once again, it is we, the columnists, who become the true victims, not to actual violence, but to the far more insidious violence of senseless accusations of having no integrity whatsoever. (laughs) Dear reader, I fear we are on a plane headed in the wrong direction, (laughs) in a nosedive towards a Stalinist state where nothing true can be said. But it isn't the Boeing 737 MAX we're flying on. No, this is a new model with all the safety features. The Boeing 1984. (laughs) (laughs) All right, put in the theme song. Oh my god. Man, why do we even do the rest of the show? <laughs> that's that's your week in news from me, Milo Edwards. <laughs> why do we even bother? At this point, it's, it's we could just do the fake <laughs> Brendan cast. Yeah.
Um, <laughs> a spin-off podcast. <laughs> it's like this, Balthazar Speedboat, and then like <laughs> Brendan O'Neill cast. Some of us listen to the Spike podcast, but others listen to the Sporked podcast. Mm. <laughs> Love to get sporked. Some of, some of us just like to squat beside a, a 1997 Lexus that's glowing. Some of us just like to hang out with women who are all butt and then a bunch of Rottweilers and hold a lot of fake diamonds and then fan out a bunch of 20s. Exactly. Like, that's how we do your, what we do. Your Lexus may be glowing, but my Lexus is bapping. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about, look, here's the thing. You know what the thing is? We've had a lot of hunt, fun here today, folks. But <laughs> hi, guys. We've had a lot of fun to be today. Serious. Sits backwards on chair. <laughs> I'm gonna rap with. I'm gonna rap with the kids about um, about how, what it means to be productive, which is when you design twenty thousand album covers for various hip hop artists throughout the early two thousands and late nineteen nineties. Somehow you still look like you're a management consultant in the mid two thousands with like mm. a, a a suit that's too large for you, but also like a goatee. Look, what I'm saying mm. is that's so many album covers. He was doing like more than one a day. I mean, it was a team, but yeah, they, in the 20,000 in 10 years. So, so for the, the listeners reference, we got on a kick of looking up pen and pixel album covers because, because these, this is our job because these guys had never heard of them before because <laughs> this I'm is old. our thing we do. Uh, and yeah, we discovered the pen and pixel, you know, in their heyday was making the no limit album covers, but they made 20,000 from 1993 to 2003. Uh, and it's like, wait a minute, that's like three a day. I mean, that's, yeah. that's so many Photoshop, Bling, Mercedes, they they were the original planes, guns, glow, glowing text, diamond text. They were the original like content hounds. Yeah, but okay. Mm. But here's what I'm saying. If Theresa May sold the Brexit deal with a cover of her holding two Rottweilers on chains, standing in front of like an obviously used late 1990s Rolls Royce Phantom with some lettering in like diamond clouds above her that said, yeah. um, you'll never approach the style. Then I think Jacob it would have Brees passed. Mogg in a bikini lying on the bonnet of the Phantom. <laughs> One of my favorites was there was a mystical album and there was like, it was him like, pensively like like holding his face like he's locked in thought and then there was like an orb and inside the orb was like him squatting in like camo gear and it's like him in like his fly white silk suit envisioning himself decked out in cam and camo gear it's like i'm literally in my own thought bubble it's like how hard do you <laughs> mystical have to, be to achieve himself. that i always had mystical down as a deep thinker you know i it, for sure, I have shaken my ass, but did I watch myself? He's a man, he's a man who's, who the tips of his fingers have been glued together, so they're always tented. All I know about mm. Mystical is there was a line in one of the songs on a Master P album where he says, I'm the man who go, uh, the man who go, ah, uh, I piss on your porch and I shit in your house. And he makes it <laughs> rhyme. He makes it rhyme somehow. I also shit in my house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yo, I'm yo. joking. I don't have a house. That's the thing. Fuck, fuck Ollie Robbins. Let's get Ollie Robbins out of here. Mystical for Brexit negotiator. Mm. I mean... To be fair, I think Master P does, he does actually still have the no limit tank, which means he could probably intimidate both the ERG and the European Commission. Wait, hang on. No limit had a tank? Yeah, tank. no limit had a tank. I mean, I, I think it was like a, it was like a modified sort of track vehicle, but they called it the no limit tank and they okay. drove around in it. Yes. Didn't have a cannon. I'm pretty sure that it was in the make them say, uh, video. Yeah. Where they're like all it, it's, it's, it's some, it's some nineties classic stuff. Yeah. Amazing. I can't remember who there was a very like a underage member of new limit who was too young to drive. 
but who was signed to but them. Not too and, young to fly, baby. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I don't, I, I guess Jeffrey Epstein was doing his thing at that point, but no, I don't think they ever crossed paths. Oh my God, a Jeffrey Epstein pen and pixel drawing <laughs> in the fucking plane. Okay, listeners, remember how I said don't order us peas at Weatherspoons? Do not, under any circumstances, make us a Jeffrey Epstein pen and pixel album cover. <laughs> With two kids on dog no! 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 I've got an idea. Dice. So, you know, I, I want to pitch this to the Adam Smith Institute, but my revolutionary idea for an app is that you can sit in any Weatherspoons and request a pen and pixel composition in any sort of form that mm. you want. And the staff have to do it. It has to be Brexit themed. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the pivot to the consumer. It's, you know, it used to be I mean, that it, the staff it, would just relax between pouring beers, but now mm. they have to draw it, an early 2000s, late 1990s hip-hop album, Rottweiler-based artwork isn't, isn't, for you. Isn't this stuff really just like the purest form of content, though? It's sort of like... You know, before like content became really niche with Instagram, where like advertisers target the very specific things that they think that you like. This is just like, okay, well, we don't really have an idea of what you think we like. So we're going to give you everything just in one go. <laughs> just like guns, cars, money. You like low ride jeans. We'll throw some low ride jeans in there. Absolutely. You like Rottweilers. You want we'll an Amstrad email or phone? You want an email phone? Guys, we'll guys. Throw that in there. You've never seen this one. This is the most amazing one. Oh, because that one's it, so it's, good. It's, okay, so here's the thing, right? Wow. You got to realize what's going on in this. Throw it up, Jamie. Here's, here's the... Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, those guys are tearing your oh, shreds. Fucking rip you apart. So he's got a mansion. He's got a walkway to his mansion with gold bricks. He's got an amusement park in the back with a huge Ferris wheel. His mom is pouring him uh, cereal. Yes. The cereal, the box has his face on it, and the cereal is nothing but diamonds. <laughs> he's like staring at the camera. While oh, he's yeah. eating his diamond cereal. While he's eating his diamond cereal. I, well, I also love that like that was back in the days when uh, a pop star having an amusement park in the back garden of their mansion was just fine. Normal. It was a normal thing. We just like <laughs> guys, we just like the roller coasters, okay? We just like the roller coasters. Don't worry about the cabin behind the roller coasters. <laughs> Nothing is haunted. No, yeah, no, that's the thing. It's that's the great thing about if you're a celebrity through an amusement park, you can be like, yes, it's haunted. And that's all. <laughs> that's like, what the screams are so, so, pen, so pen and pixel stuff i find really funny because it like you know obviously this is a very american thing but it's like I, I i view this in the context of stuff like pimp my ride for example where like when they pimped out the car again it was just a situation of like yo dog we heard you like this so we put this inside this that's so you can still do, a you very know. british aesthetic though that aesthetic has not left the uk well kind of i think like even the british pimp my ride was sort of reserved and i don't know whether that's because like westwood <laughs> didn't have the same kind of charisma as exhibit Son of the bishop of peterborough um, but like pimp my ride us was very much like you have this big truck so we're just gonna put like a flat screen tv in there <laughs> we're gonna put like a cooker in there like when your wife divorced as you you're gonna have everything that you need to like live like, inside British pimp my ride was about divorced dads whereas like american pimp my ride was about fulfilling your dreams right american pimp my ride was about having a fucking ps2 in the back of your accurate hatchback <laughs> yeah so you could so you could play metal gear solid 2 sons of liberty well, while driving I, I never saw the british pimp my ride but the american one the idea was that the theme always had to be like even to the point of absurdity it had to be kept with like mm. the guy had a I want to say it was like a Daewoo Hijet or something like that, or a Datsun or like an old, 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 like early eighties Japanese minivan. And the name had Hijet in it. So like jet, they're like, okay, we're going to fuck with this. So they turned the, the, the old minivan and like they kitted it out in nothing but like airplane stuff. So we had like airplane seats in the back of it. And like all this like airplanes, like, Oh, it's a jet. Right. And it's like, 
wow, you could have just bought him a better car, but instead you made this yeah. shitty 1981 minivan into a jetliner. It's still going to break down, but it just looks cool. You can play PlayStation while you wait for breakdown cover. So folks, we're, mm. we're in the Pimp My Ride, uh, our country edition, because... Yo, dog, we heard you like Brexit, so... <laughs> put a Brexit. You better put a Brexit so in your we country just, you, you so heard, you can leave while you leave. We heard mm. you like Brexit, so we put... Um, our planning commission for Brexit in a nuclear bunker. Um, mm. Officials well, stress this. So up. you can blow up your country while you blow up your country? As, mm. Is that retro now? <laughs> is that, are Exhibit 4chan memes retro now? Were those 4chan memes? I just uh, remember yeah, they were 4chan vague. memes. I mean, I guess 4chan wasn't necessarily as sinister at one point, but... Uh, yeah, back when I was posting on it. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> back when I used Three it just ago. to look... Just to look at a single boob. <laughs> All mm. right, so... You may remember my prolific posting career as Racism Lord 420. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then, obviously. Anyway, um... Yeah, so it looks like we're um, it, lo- it looks like we're going to the bunker, folks. Um, Britain has decided. Britain's well. decided Damn. that it wants to end its own society, apparently, Love because it. we're just going to ruin all of our supply chains. Which seems we're fine. just not going to live in a society anymore. It's just, it's just <laughs> the Trash Boys and Ava Brown eating eating Twinkies four hundred feet below the Earth's crust. So I just found it very funny because like there was that male front cover which was going around, which was just like, okay, so Brexit's gone to shits again, and we're putting the entire army inside a nuclear bunker, <laughs> but like no one quite knows why. No, and then, no one like, knows. All these kind of hard Brexits are just like, well. Okay, things are going to be super shit, but we'll get through it. It'll be fine, you know. It'll be cool. There was this guy I met on a plane over international waters. He said it was. <laughs> he said it'd be okay. He said it would be all right. Um, yeah, I. He you, said there's always one thing you can export. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! As long as I've got a plane and fuel to put it in. But I'm just going to ask future Nate exactly how Brexit has gone between the recording and the release. The Tories, led by Michael Gove, tried to unseat Theresa May, but their coup failed before it even began. Also, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was the Times or maybe the Telegraph uh, ran a cover with Boris Johnson trying to quote Exodus and talk about let my people go, not realizing that the next sequence of events in that biblical tale involves wandering through the desert for 40 years. So that's your Brexit update. (laughs) Always witty and informative. I learned so much from that. It's going to change a lot of what I do in my day-to-day life. I sure as hell can't believe that... <laughs> happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Was that this going to be a ban on Yu-Gi-Oh cards? <laughs> wow. I never really understood. <laughs> Brexit wasn't relevant until now. <laughs> but that's really not kind of what I want to talk about because, you know, if you want to go listen to daily Brexit updates, you can listen to the Romaniacs, which is what I assume they do. That's not kind of what we do. Um, instead, I've kind of, I've been noticing as, as have, I think a lot of other people, um, the extent to which the, the mask has slipped from a lot of the right wing in this country. I say, as I pull off my V mask, revealing my crap. I'm future. I'm actually future. (laughs) It's not Joker. I'm future. (laughs) I'm rapper future. Um, but the, the the mask has, has slipped to from, uh, it's been the last couple of years from just trying to articulate a position incoherent and wrongheaded as it might be Mm -hmm. to basically just inciting violence on a regular basis. Um, 
And I think oh, like, it's the Andrew Tate Brexit. <laughs> well, yeah, it's basically like, no, our lives have to get worse. We must, we must do this no matter what happens, even if it's literally impossible, it must be done. Well, it's, it's, it's ba- like people like Marc Francois, the sort of insane Brexiter MP from Essex. Oh, and divorced cool army he, dad, Marc Francois. And it's cool yeah. because he has a, he has a fancy French, French last name. He has a fancy French last name and he's the person. really hate the French. You have to think like the French. He's the personification <laughs> of family court. Um, but like the, like the, the sort of glib willingness to just sort of threaten violence, whether it's against your polit against us realistically as the left or against, against Muslims, <laughs> against, um, even just MPs and so on has skyrocketed. And like this used to just be a, I don't used to just be, but like the sun, um, late last year when when it was confronted with the idea that brexit might not be the totalizing transformation of society into a racist 1950s cartoon um ran the following uh, an article with the following line do you <laughs> you won't let us put the gollywogs back on the jam <laughs> i mean kind of that's why you that's need a hard realistically brexit. like what do you think animates like people who want no deal that's kind of it it's so funny to me that they that they used I mean obviously using gollywogs to sell anything is insane but especially jam <laughs> like just what a weird like what is the connection between those two things in any way it's so bizarre you know what i like on my toast racism <laughs> this is this is what the sun the sun printed do you think Brits are too reserved for civil disorder? Cast your mind back to the riots of the 70s 80s 1990 or 2001 or the febrile atmosphere of the referendum during which Joe Cox MP was heartbreakingly murdered. Imagine how supported. imagine how bad it will be if MPs having handed the people the right to choose Brexit then steal it from us. A very normal thing to write. But I, was like, I didn't realize that Anwar Al-Awlaki was writing for the Sun. <laughs> but this is <laughs> the Sun is edited by Bain now. It, I mean, it fucking might as well I mean, be. They're sending the army into the bunker, right? Isn't that like one of the key plot points of the dark Knight rises <laughs> the, the like, they sent, get buried. like they said the camellia like, adopted this brexit like, yeah like bane put sent the police yeah, into he the just, underground he bunker. just uses a very simple trick to just <laughs> fool the police all into burying themselves in the sewers <laughs> and then immediately takes over the city without problem yeah it's I just, feel like he uses a got your nose style trick to make the make, make the police bury themselves it's like a string of donuts <laughs> down, down, down in the bunker i feel like the dark Damn. night rises should be remade but into like a co- like into a comedy no, but- they're all like well there's no one to beat up down here <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> Yeah, I was but, told there was a Hispanic family down here selling lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> it's a waste of my time. Yeah, the, the ba- Bane just had a white lady call the police and say, mm. I'm in the sewers and there's a, there's, there's, there's a black boy selling lemonade. <laughs> we got to okay. get down there and sort this out. <laughs> Quickly, bring everyone. Yeah. Okay, but like, I want, I want, okay, going back to this sun thing. Um, they're literally like this. This has been a trope in the right wing media and not just in the sun, which is probably the world's most insane uh, newspaper that's most famous for like in, in wrongfully indicting a bunch of football fans for mysteriously killing themselves in Hillsborough. But like it's it's in the rest of the media as well. These just the sun um, is the original Logan Paul. These just anyway, you could say imminent threats of 
imminent threats of and whippings up to violence. I mean, it's amazing to me because looking at some of these headlines, you'll see about like all of the different headlines they've whipped up to, to make it sound like both to, to fear monger and to threaten violence over Brexit, but then also to, to specifically direct hate at Muslims. Um, it's just weird because as an American, when you look at some of these headlines, like the copy seems insane in the sense that like what they're saying is, is absolutely like, you know, take work strangers in our own land and so on and so forth. Like it's very, very, uh, obviously like racialized and very much trying to like, um, illicit violence, but then they'll just be like a random little boy playing at the beach. And it's like 65 in November or just like a chick's ass. And you're like huge <laughs> knockers on page three. And it's such a strange thing because it feels like the right As operates the of a very large door. I feel passionately about the, 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 the right operates like on the, the, the pitch of exciting the mm. id and exciting human passions and trying to make people feel angry and threatened and also horny. Mm. But it's just weird to have it to be done all at once the way it is in British tabloids. Yeah. That is like Fox news right. might try to titillate, but it doesn't try to titillate. Like there's not like, booty dancers while Brit Hume is telling you that Obama is a, a Muslim dictator. Not yet. Yeah, because America is puritanical, right? That's why the sun's better. Um, <laughs> my, so my favorite thing about the sun, and I think I've said this on, on the podcast before, is that um, as part of the page three tits display, they would always have uh, like a, a really like nuanced quote about politics or something, which they would attribute to the oh, naked girl. But always super reactionary. Was, no, not always though. And what? it was called, yeah, it was called news in briefs. No, because the, the the, the essence of it was reactionary and the joke was like, ha, can you imagine a woman with her boobs out saying something intelligent? Ridiculous. <laughs> but the joke was always inevitably on the sun because it would be something like, well, actually the problem with the common monetary policy is and then and then it would just be the most intelligent opinion in the sun. Like, there would be like, <laughs> like none of their op-eds would be smarter than the news in briefs thing. Um, so I'd be like, who's really owned the sun? The, the simple fact of the sun is that it is the highest expression of the British right-wing media, which is the the fulfillment of just every lower base animal passion of its readers, who primarily seem to be like, you know, angry middle-class men in barber jackets in the home counties. Jesus Christ, those things will tear you to shreds. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of, yeah. Who, if you're a society, hmm. yes, maybe. Hmm. Who's worse, the Daily Express or the Sun? Um, the sun for sure. Yeah. The, the daily express is way funnier. The daily express is just still obsessed with princess Diana. Yeah. And so, so if you take the three, if you say the daily mail, the sun and the daily express, don't Mark forget Ferry the telegraph. Mark Ferry kill. <laughs> Mark Ferry kill. No. <laughs> F. You, you no rank, the rank, them, rank them in order of fashion. You gotta play F. Murray Abraham. Fuck Mary kill. Uh, <laughs> um, look here. The, the, the sun is complicit in actual criminality mm. in terms of like what happened in Hillsborough. Um, and also is, but like the, all of them are like complicit in whipping up actual, yeah. um, like hate crimes against a quite significant percentage of the British population. You see it with Theresa May as well with her speech the other day where she said, you, the public have had enough. You're tired of the infighting. You're tired of the political games and the arcane procedural rows. Tired of MPs talking about nothing else but Brexit when you have real concerns about our children's schools, our national health service, knife crime. You want this stage of the Brexit process to be over and done with. I agree. I am on your side. Where, once again, the idea that... The idea that any force is going to stand between the... I don't just mean the people who voted to leave the European Union, which, as we all know, was a relatively fraught issue where the European Union is deeply imperfect. A lot of people needed to make their voice heard fine. But the no-deal extremists, the Marc-Francois people, 
the um, Bill Cash people, like the the home counties fascists. Who I love are, that both of his names are terms for cash. We should do a pen, a pen and pixel version of him. We, do, we should. We, we just did our, our our Rod Little one. We should do a, a Bill Cash we one. We should do Bill Cash week. where the 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 B is the Bitcoin symbol and the S is the dollar sign. <laughs> and he's like, he, and he's like in a he's like in a in a, in a uh, what, what what are those cars called? Like Impalas, Impalas, Impala, like a Chevy, a Chevy Impala. Uh, yeah, with with like Ludacris or something playing a PS2. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's there's ludicrous Leslie. Yeah, move, move, bitch, get out of the way. Um, <laughs> oh no, ludicrous Grayling. Sorry, I'm confusing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But like, it's that's the that's that's where we are, which is the anything less than the restoration of this nostalgic vision of a perfect world that you have based your entire worldview around is a betrayal, and these are the people who have betrayed you. Like the right has always been incredible at naming its malefactors. It just names its malefactors as either the people who are least able to defend themselves, which we'll get into, or in the case of Theresa May and the Sun, threatening violence against anybody who opposes the most extreme fascist interpretation of a particular right wing agenda. And I don't I don't see how it's possible to stop it at this point. It's all very normal, isn't it? It's all good. It's going to be fine. Um, we're all. We're all greatly enjoying the Brexit process. Um, I think, I don't, like at this point, I just think that like it's never gonna, it's never gonna end. Yeah, like well, it's gonna become it's like, like a, when does the mandate run out for the the referendum? I mean, like when when can you say okay, this was a decision made, but then like other circumstances have developed. The thing mm-hmm. was like even here's here's what I'm gonna try like because I've been thinking about this for a while, and I think the campaign was always set up to be like a culture war, right? It was never really about it was never really about the European Union. It was never no. really about like international alliances. It was never really about any kind of conversations to do with like, you know, monetization or financialization and stuff. It was this was always going to be like a culture war. And the thing that we know about culture wars is that they don't really end until like a lot of people are dead. And even if like we crash out with like no deal, like these people aren't going to be happy, right? I think a lot of it is kind of rooted in resentment. A lot of it's like a generational thing as well. Like this is, this is very, you know, we've kind of talked about like dissatisfaction of the status quo and stuff, but so much of kind of like the culture around what no deal is trying to achieve is kind of this very bizarre fantasy of home counties, men who wish they had joined the army, but ended up as like semi successful accountants who were able to build conservatories um, oh, and for Francois, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, you see his tweets, kind of. Yeah. Um, and like anyone who kind of points us out is just like you know a snowflake millennial, ungrateful. Um, you know all that, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, you can't really end a generational war until one generation like goes extinct, right? There is, so, there is no, there is no ending it. And the, the yeah. is, it's we keep and not we. But I think a lot of the people who try to work with us to adva- advance what they think are our interests keep responding to the points that these people make as though the points matter. You know, the, all of these mm. people are all a lot of these hard like no deal Brexit people are like, yes, but when we have no deal, we'll be able to strike a trade deal with Mauritius. Like th- they don't Love care it. about trade with Mauritius. Gonna buy they don't some care. fucking bananas. They don't care. That's the thing. They, it is at this point. The, it is undeniable in the societies in which most of our listeners live that 
the forces of n- complete and utter nihilism are ascendant. Damn, it's like we're all the Joker. <laughs> well, well, let me let me point something out too, because um, so by 2016, uh, the state of Indiana had almost record low unemployment. It was hit really hard in the recession, um, and obviously, like manufacturing jobs had been leaving for a while. But by 2016, um, you know, you had state, you had cities like Fort Wayne. Uh, in places in the north that where unemployment was under two percent, where they were literally offering to relocate homeless people and like house them and train them to work in like RV factories and places because there are so few people who could hold these jobs because like they had such low unemployment. Um, and yet they voted for Trump. Why? Not because 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 they they were angry at it, a vision of of what they were told was happening and what they chose to believe based on like Facebook and Alex Jones, whatever the fuck. And I don't necessarily have a ton of sympathy for people who choose to believe in alternate reality. But I think that you can look at the same dynamic at play here and say, when the same people who want hard Brexit, who want Brexit at all costs, who also are like, we'll kick out all the foreigners, we'll send them all back to wherever, when like the people that they're mad about are, A, they don't live in communities where there are any immigrants. And secondly, like they, they want to kick out people who wouldn't be kicked out after a hard Brexit or when they talk about wanting, you know, when they, they also hot pull highly for like bringing back hanging and bringing back leaded petrol and bringing back blue passports and bringing back, basically they want to recreate a nostalgic vision of, of what they think Britain was like in the 1960s. Bring back leaded petrol would be such a strong vision for the culture war. That would like, I would almost <laughs> vote for that because it's so fucking funny as a concept. I mean, it's like basically you were talking about Mark, Mark Fisher and hauntology and this is sort of like dark alternate universe hauntology. Nostalgia. This, this is, is the, but this this is is the, the mirror this version is the kind of like weaponized nostalgia in the sense that it's like it is that it's 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 still envisioning something that's it's like a like golden age delusions um but i think that for a certain subset of people like the political opportunists notwithstanding the people who will will do whatever to stay in power notwithstanding the people who are really like who the kind of people who would get up and be like i can't be satisfied until hard brexit happens most of those people are incensed about a vision of the world that absolutely does not exist, but that, you know, is fed to them because of like, they've liked 10 Tommy Robinson pages on yeah. Facebook. Mm. And they're, they're, and the, the reason I say that nihilism is ascendant is that for this impossible future past, mm-hmm. they are willing to destroy everything. Yeah. I mean, and one thing I would say is as a, as a, uh, and, and there's nothing we can give them. Well, no, I was gonna say as a follow up to the, the thing I said about the state of Indiana, right? Yeah. I remember reading a story about uh, a business in, I want to say in Louisiana that, uh, they make like fiberglass boat holes and they were very successful making like custom boat holes. But because of the tariffs they put that the Trump instituted on trade with China, all of a sudden their, their business was going to go under. And of course, you know, the Times sent its intrepid fucking Harvard grad reporters to go and interview these people. And the people were just like, Trump's making America strong. I don't care if my business goes bankrupt. And it's literally like, burn my house down, dad. I love it. They, they don't <laughs> fucking care. Like, even if it materially affects them in a way that completely me, daddy. ends their life, like ruins their livelihood, anything mm. in service of that vision. It's like, what you really need to do is just find something that, like, if only you could weaponize these people against global warming, you could then get them to put on suicide vests and detonate them. Like, they do it. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, what did what did you do in the culture war, Granddad? Well, I had a podcast, son. <laughs> I mean, even I mean even, that was like being an army ranger when you get down to it. But the mm. thing is, like, it's it's going back to the right wing press is that these people are willing to burn anything down to get back to this world that they're just assuming was around bef- slightly before they were born. But, but what does Paul Dacker have in it? Like, what, what, what skin in the game does he have in it? Newspapers. But, but, selling. But, uh, selling newspapers. But it's just because, like, they, they've already won. They've got everything they've wanted. They've dismantled the welfare state. They but, pay zero taxes. There's nothing, there's nothing you can give them. 
There is nothing you can give them that they won't want more, 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 more. There is. How the, do you like it? How they, do you like it? They are the. They are the infinite maw. You give it them is, mambo number five, and they just want mambo number it, six. No, it, it is. It, <laughs> The little bit of Teresa by my side. The aggrieved white boomer is the infinite consumptive maw. They don't want anything in particular. They don't. They don't even want to win. They just want to keep fighting you. And when you're dead, they're going to be just shooting your corpse. There is nothing we can give them. It is literally like I cannot believe. I cannot believe I have to say this, but this is literally the speech that the Joker gave to Batman at the end of the Dark Knight. Some people just want to watch the world burn. I don't even think it was the one. It was one right at the end where he's just like the what was it? The unstoppable force versus the immovable object. Um, (laughs) But they don't. don't, Mark Mark Francois is the Joker in this scenario. The difference is Mark (laughs) Francois is like, you know how I got these scars? I was in the territorial army. And the point, the point Which is end. actually the best kind of the army. And don't <laughs> let anyone most, tell you otherwise. It is. That's why they that's why they keep that for Britain. So that when Britain is attacked, the most elite soldiers like me will be able to defend, you know, the, the grandmas that are left. Yeah, they want to be they want to be storybook heroes. It's really weird mm. to me because you've made the Joker into a Dutch American. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, hey, these, you know how I got these squash? <laughs> <laughs> no, these these guys all want to be story these guys all want to be storybook heroes. Some guys just won the uh, burn the world down, but why they were wearing wooden shoes, you know? <laughs> so that's that's that this is Romanian Dutch. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, some guys, you know, <laughs> they want to watch the world burn. Italian Joker. <laughs> just go. <laughs> they don't. Guy they, lets his wife burn down the country. I don't know. But they don't want to watch the world burn. Mm. They want it to go back to a cartoon that they that they pretend they remember because they watched mm. too much Dad's Army when they were a kid. They want um, it. It's like it's like those teens that listen to Vaporwave because they think it takes them to the time in the nineties. Kind of that they weren't even born into. I'm yeah, still like they're not read doing, my stories yeah, by the but way. Who's saying they're not doing fascism about it? That's true. Yeah, but, I mean, this is the fundamental difference. Like the teens, just like but just lonely teens who go on YouTube and watch vaporwave videos. These guys are people who are like, yeah, we are literally willing to start a race war to get back to this point that we were never at. Um, also, correct me if I'm wrong, but. Um, the riots that the sun references were like in the seventies and eighties, like those were specifically because of provocations of police violence and people rising up against it, like in Brixton and Liverpool. In yeah. the eighties, definitely in the seventies, I guess most of the, uh, most of the riots were like industrial. I was going to say like strikes and such, but yeah, but like, I, I, but yeah, in the eighties, definitely. Um, so also we have, um, Donald Trump jr. Has made a similar intervention. Um, to yes, how special no. fucking and boy. Theresa May uh, in British Hashtag politics. Me too, as break, John Jr. once said. The breakout star of the Trump administration, Donald Trump Jr. Since 2016, Prime Minister Theresa May has promised on more than 50 separate occasions that Britain would leave the EU on March 29th, 2019. She needs to honor that promise. But Mrs. May has ignored advice from my father... And ultimately, advice from my father. And ultimately, a process that should have taken only a few short months has become a years long stalemate, leaving the British people in limbo. I can only imagine what the advice from Donald Trump was to Theresa. Very unfair to me. Very (laughs) unfair. I I, I don't know what it was because I just don't read Brexit stuff anymore. But someone was just like, or a few people online were sort of like, well, the advice that the, the advice that Donald Trump gave is technically like illegal. Like you can't actually do it. 
Like you can't, I feel, oh, what was it? Try, he had said something about like, just kind of like leaving and not giving a shit and just like forging these new contracts like within a day or something like that. And I was like, that's not how like trade deals work. But also like the UK's right? economy has been enmeshed with the, U- the EU since the 80s, since the 70s. I mean, like since they founded the European community in the late 50s, I mean, fuck's mm-hmm. sake, like you can't just change that overnight. And I mean, and every single business in the United Kingdom that does any kind of trade involving stuff from overseas has this process baked into like their supply chain or like to like mm-hmm. their own, their, their, the services they provide. Like the idea yeah. that, that you can disentangle that and just be like, uh, nope, we're just gonna, you, 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 you made airplane parts. Well, now you're going to make fucking Cornish pasties. Yeah. Yeah. That's just the way it's going to yeah. go. But that, but, but, but enough people want that enough people want to, and are just are willing to sacrifice like that. We have medicine and that we have food and whatever, because because I don't even think the EU was really that important in most of their decision making. It just happens to be the thing that was standing between them and what used to be imperial greatness. Listen That's to it. Easy, you got to take my advice, okay? This Jean Claude Junker chick, I've dealt with her before. <laughs> she gave me a hand job at Rob Schneider's Christmas party in 1996. Look, I can tell you this much: she drives a hard bargain. You've got to be firm, because I recently learned about this person called the Hamburglar. Now, what happens with him is he comes into your house and he steals hamburgers. You've got to be on the watch for this. It's very dangerous. People are talking about it. I've spoken to people up and down the country. They're having hamburgers stolen. It's not a joke. You can go to Indiana. You can go to Arizona. Arizona. There are people on the street. They're carrying on there as well. Ronald McDonald, a failing guy. Okay, you, you don't see him anymore. You, he's not done. He's not done the Brexit. Look, what I'm saying is, it's got to be a hard Brexit. You got to watch out for Grimace and the Hamburglar, and uh, you, you're going to be fine. Thank you. Why didn't she take that advice? I if you taken that advice, we'd have solved it in a day. I'm almost certain that's more coherent than what he actually <laughs> said. Can you, can you imagine the two most famously coherent people in contemporary politics, Theresa May and Donald Trump, having a conversation? Uh, so uh, Trump Jr. continues, Here in the United States, we've seen similar efforts to overturn legitimate election results. When my father beat the Washington establishment in a historic outcome in 2016, just a few months after the Brexit vote, we mistakenly presumed there would be a peaceful and respectful transition of power from the Democrats to Republicans, just as there has always been in this country. Instead, the Democrats and deep state uh, he literally sounds like one of the third world dictator children like when my father made this country great <laughs> and he was and he was brushed aside by his own people <laughs> instead the democrats and deep state operatives in our justice system have been colluding to subvert the will of the american people with high Damn. level officials even discussing a scheme to try to remove him from office Right, it's known as impeachment. Yeah, <laughs> something which the like they did to fuck tried to do to Bill Clinton. Well, it's like that's the thing. It's it's these all of these people and all of these papers make their make their bread and butter of winning every single political contest every single time of mm. completely dominating um, the sort of the spent forces of liberalism and then pretending that they are an a weak, aggrieved party who is in need of support, probably mm. from violent vigilantes, because again, that gets people's dicks hard and sells papers. That's well, true. My yeah, dick's the, pretty hard. The, the idea that like you know people protest something, and so thirty states in America pass laws that say like it, you know you you get the presidential medal of freedom if you run over protesters, or like you know like the the, <laughs> the, the like the, the, the that, uh, that's that's one of the key freedoms. Yeah, or like the you know the, the pass some anti antifa law without even realizing what that actually means, where you know. Not about the soup. The, yeah. the, the, the cop, the cops can murder you for protesting, kind of stuff. Like basically, it, it's 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 the same thread of aggrieved and victimhood 
based on a, a, a reading of the facts. I, I can think of something particular. So you guys remember in 2011, um, the whole there was a whole budget shutdown thing in the United States, right? Sure. Where they were, and they do this a lot now. Like it's just some dumb shit. They started doing it in the 90s under Clinton, and they've been doing it ever since. Where they threatened to like not, you know, allow the U.S. basically to not raise the debt ceiling or to not like mm-hmm. continue to to um, fund the government. And um, so in 2012, they did it. In 2013, it happened again. And I remember seeing Facebook memes, uh, you know, basically from people that I had served with in the army, you know, basically because the, during the shutdown, the way it was set up, you weren't guaranteed as a, somebody in the military, you were going to get paid your salary, like while the shutdown was happening. And this was because the Republicans literally were like demanding some crazy shit and the Democrats were like, no. And it, it just, it, but so, so, but, but somehow that translated into a meme of like, Obama cares so much about Muslims and immigrants. He's giving them all your money instead of paying our soldiers and people fucking believe and like, this is a complete fabrication. This is complete nonsense. But that I guarantee you that that rendition of events, more eyeballs saw that than people who actually fucking read an article about it. And so see what you realize is the disinformation, the, 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 the victimhood enhancement sort of platforms are so prolific and so easy to access. Whereas like getting, having any fucking sense of what's going on is hard for us. And we do this shit all day. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so it just comes down to, it's very, someone like Donald Trump can say this stuff and be like, Oh yeah. When Antifa fucking the, the Democrats and their Soros backed enablers of fascism have blocked my father, who's trying to save America. And like people, idiot libs like USA today will allow this to be published. And people in America will read this and be like, oh yeah, that's, 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 that's what's happening. Yeah, people look at Donald Trump Jr. and they're like, damn, this pepper army in a wig really has a point. <laughs> there was this article that came out about our friends at Turning Point the other day from the Mail, on, from Mail Online. And Hello, I can't, Mail you know, Online, I can't, you know, it had, this, it had a line which was this like, um, with, his, with his bright blue blazer and his gleaming white smile, uh, yeah, white smile. smile. His white smile. Yes, that's it. Um, that's the only cool thing that's white about you, you, him. You might mistake. You might say his supreme white smile. <laughs> you might. You might mistake uh, Charlie Kirk as a run on the uh, a run off the mill jock. Um, although, like you know, uh, you know, you might mistake him for like a football player, but actually, he's he's this really interesting political actor. And the problem is, since he's been in the UK, no one's wanted to listen to him. Um, so you've also got like these supposed like respectable newspapers and like bear in mind the mail is still considered to be a respectable newspaper by many people, including people in the industry that I work in. Um, but they're kind of publishing stuff that you kind of know from the offset, like this is garbage. Like this isn't even like accurate at all. This is not, you know, you're kind of playing into bad faith and either you're doing this deliberately or you're stupid. Um, which is so much of what British media is. It's literally just yeah. like, you're either doing this deliberately or you are incredibly dumb. And I used to think for a long time, but actually it was because they knew this, but they're just incredibly like they knew this and they were doing this like insidiously. I genuinely think that there is a good percentage of like the pundit class that are really, really stupid, which now transitions me to a story that happened yesterday, which I definitely want to tell, um, which is to do with one of our favorite conservative pundits, Isabel Oakshop. Um, <laughs> oh God, this is hell yeah. <laughs> And her impassionate um, parking space campaign. Right. You're going to give away the story. So Make Isabel, parking fair so, again. So Isabel Oakshop is considered to be one of the kind of premier political British journalists working in Fleet Street. She is the person who wrote, but who co-authored the Cameron biography in which we found out that he dicked a pig. Um, allegedly, we don't really know, but no one's denied it. 
No one's denied it. So yeah. um, who can say whether it's true or false? <laughs> um, can uh, say? She was like a, the political editor of the Daily Mail for a long time. She uh, She's on TV like very, very regularly. Um, the most recent antic that came up were, like that I remember her was when she got very mad in public because she believed that Oxford Parkway, the train station, which is for like our American listeners, it's sort of like, I don't know, it's like one of, it's one of like the big train stations in Oxford that's sort of like, like Imagine like uh, you're getting off at like New Haven. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. Um, You know, so it's, it's basically just a place for lots of car car spaces, but Isabel Oakshaw got very angry because um, supposedly there are too many disabled parking spaces in Oxford Parkway, despite the fact, and I think if you go back to one of our earlier episodes of Alan White, like he very, he'll like, does he describes how actually this isn't the case? Like they have the the right number of like disabled parking spaces if you're into that shit, listen to that episode. Um, still, she was just like, no, it's got too many disabled parking spaces. Fuck disabled people. They shouldn't drive anyway. Um, they shouldn't <laughs> even travel anywhere. Um, so anyway, they call uh, themselves disabled. They can't even fucking walk. So, so something happened with one of our list of friends of the show, Mark DiStefano, who is a media reporter at um, Buzzfeed, um, where him and Isabel got into some sort of spat and Isabel was like, oh, I don't know who you are. You know, I don't even know who you are. Um, or like what type of scoop that you've done, etc. Um, obviously like bad faith, like, you know, she knows what Buzzfeed is. She knows who everyone is. Like she is a media person and her entire life is built around kind of media people. So like, she absolutely knows this anyway. I, I kind of intervened as, as you do, as um, you do. causing a bit of mischief. And I said, I know who this guy is. I've seen him in Oxford Parkway. He parks in a disabled parking space, even though he has two functioning legs. So Isabel Oakshot DMs me like straight afterwards, like immediately, like within seconds, she's like, she's like oh next time you see him do this can you film him and i said and i said yes for you isabel absolutely absolutely i will do this i will fight for you i will fight for your honor and i will fight for your valor wherever someone tries to slay you i will be there with my shield this is not much of an Uh, exaggeration i saw the screenshots that dm this is not much of an exaggeration and then she sends me a kissy face emoji um, she's like one of the dumbest people and it was yeah right and so you sent her a picture of the Yu-Gi-Oh dragon dick right oh for fuck's sake I should have done yeah, she's trying to get the Yu-Gi-Oh dragon uh, dick yeah. um, I mean if she hasn't blocked me I might just send her a message being like Isabel can you answer this question for me please <laughs> um, yeah but like I just wanted to go back to this thing about like you know actually some of these pundits who get paid a lot of money who have you know will still get TV spots who will still get their slots on question time um, are really fucking stupid and this is a really important thing especially like in wake of recent events because so much of what we talk about isn't just kind of like debates that happen in parliament or like protests like so much of what we talk about in terms of cultural political shifts are the result of like online engagement and it's about like boomers who like get pretty much all their news on Facebook and like I've, there's a bunch of statistics out there which show that like boomers are much more likely to believe like fake news or like distorted news than any other type of generation. This yeah, is because yeah. they're, they're mad and they want something that's going to tell them they're right to be mad. Right. 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 But they're, they're just, they just wake up mad and they yeah. go to bed mad and nothing's ever going to stop when, them from being your mad. Your father and I have been reading about this character called the Muslim Hamburglar. Now <laughs> have <laughs> this, you heard anything about this? Fa- yeah, no, like there are, they use, I swear there is going to be someone who kickstarts a like children's book about Q for grandparents to read to their grandkids. And it's going to sell 
sell very well. I mean, there's now like people at like political rallies who are being filmed in like by Fox News and broadcast where they're wearing Q T-shirts, right? Yeah, of course. And they're all like, a guy a shot a crime boss in New York City and then like, yeah. yes, like, like, appeared in court with Q stuff written on his yeah. hand. Random stochastic right wing violence is increasing, and I... these these are the people that are doing it. And the problem with like problem with pundits, and they're so stupid. The problem they're the stupidest people well, in the entire well, this, world. Well, this is the thing. So many pundits like are completely unaware of how the internet works. They're completely unaware or they choose to be unaware of like, you know, how the content that they put online, you know, and I'm, I'm sure we, because this, I guess this is like our next subject, but like when we talk about things like the New Zealand attack that happened, um, just uncritically publishing his fucking manifesto and making it available to people. Not right, just that, but, but publishing the stuff that led up to it. Or, yeah, or, 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 like, or having gif fucking snip snapshots of the shooting video right. on like the front page Pub- of their website. Like publishing, publishing the live stream and then having editors being like, well, you know, we just wanted people to have as much info access to information as possible. And then like when you, when you compound that with like all these takes from pundits who have no idea about how the internet works and we have no idea about like how ideas get legitimized and how, you know, so for the most part when, you know, cause for me, the New Zealand attack was a very emotional moment for obvious reasons. Um, and I've also spent like the past two years, like writing a book about like Muslim communities who have been silenced and like the ways that they use to express themselves. So this was like a very personal moment for me and just making comments like, yeah, actually like a lot of these, a lot of these articles, a lot of these things that you read in like the Telegraph, the Spectator, the Times, like they do add legitimacy to arguments that like were once conspiracy theories. Like there is stuff that is published by like Theresa May, like that was published by Theresa May's former head of communications, which basically said that like George Soros was causing like the great replacement, right? And no one addressed that. He still has a column on the Telegraph. You still have like people like Melanie Phillips who wrote the fucking book called Londonistan, which, you know, the whole argument was around this idea that so many Muslims are moving to London, but it's going to become a caliphate in like the next 10 years, right? Who is now sending tweets. Now it's just Tower Hamlets. Don't worry, guys. (laughs) Now it's Tower Hamlets who like our famous friend, Rod Little, who we made a picture of earlier today. Sorry, we we found a picture of made by Pen and Pixel because they're such big fans of his of course <laughs> um, yeah uh, you know he's like saying you know m- you know muslims should go blow themselves up in tower hamlets right like all this language means stuff and this was the first time where like these pundits had to really face that you know the things that they say and the things that <laughs> the, yeah. the, for the benefit of the listener we just pulled up the rod little picture again yeah doubt like download it retweet it send it to alex keely you know what to do you know what to alex do keely yeah. with alex keely little with picture. Little picture. No, I, I cannot stress this enough everybody at Alex Keeley with the rod little picture. <laughs> He's going to um, love it. Yeah. So like, you know, going back to that, it's kind of like, okay, so these guys have no idea how like, you know, how their words legitimize. And for me, this was really confusing because it's like, okay, well, you kind of class yourself as a pundit. You class yourself as like your opinion, like in the belief that your opinion means like a lot and it's powerful and it's impactful. And the reason that you're employed at a newspaper is so that you have influence. And yet the moment when your words finally do have influence, the moment when people take the words that you have written, the words that you've legitimized from like conspiracy forums on 4chan and stuff and you know, this guy acts on those words by killing people, you suddenly want to distance yourself. You suddenly just want to say, oh, I'm just like one pundit in like a sea of pundits. Yeah, it just suddenly becomes this... 
atom, atomized thing, the consequences of one person's mental illness instead of all of the, right. the negativity, all of the hate speech, all of the conspiracy theorizing that they've been putting out in the world. I mean, Melanie Phillips will block you at the drop of the hat if you bring up the fact that she literally was one of the intellectual inspirations for the fucking Toya Massacre. Well, and Be- Ben Shapiro was one of the literal inspirations for um, Alexander Bissonnette. Yeah, but also, the, the, the New Zealand guy had four Rotherham written on one of his guns, which is a trope the Daily Mail has used to sell papers. So I'm sorry, anyone, any, any, any liberal, like any James O'Brien type, who's now like heralding the return of the Daily Mail as a respectful paper now that Paul Dacker is no longer at the head. Like this is the same paper that said hurrah for the black shirts in the 1930s. It's the same paper that talked about Rotherham now. They're as complicit in violence now as they were then. It kind of sucks to be from Rotherham and the, like the only people who like you are murderous Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but this almost, cu- but, and then the fact is all, additionally, like some people like Owen Jones have been saying, but no, no, people like Owen Jones and the metropolitan police commissioner in charge of counterterrorism has been saying that the press in this country is directly responsible and directly fans the flames of terrorism. And Owen Jones agrees and says, you need to consider what you're doing. And then liberal journalists like fucking Hadley Freeman jump out of the woodwork to say, uh, how dare you criticize us? We're the free press and we'll more or less print what we want because what, because the most important freedom is abstract. Like these are the people who are trying to say that they are the sensible center who is keeping the sort of more the radical chocolatey center. The soft chocolatey well, center. This, is, this is how they justify their yeah. existence, right? It's like without us. Yeah. These com- these hard conversations would be restricted to extremists. But what I found, and I think what's very evident by like lots of stuff that you read in the Spectator and lots of stuff that you read in, um, lots of stuff that you read in the Times and everything, is that like they take these conversations that already exist and they basically give it a voice, right? And a lot of the time, and I can imagine this is the case. You, you know, I've worked with columnists before as an editor. And they often struggle for content, right? Like this is these are people that mm. aren't really reporters, and they're sort of designed, you know, mm. they're sort of there to pen just. Pen and pixel be, has been gone for fifteen pen, years yeah, or they so. Can't, like, they can't do pen and pixel <laughs> images. So often, what they'll do is like they'll go into their networks, or they'll ask their people like, "What are the most important stuff that I should be writing about?" And when you're at like a fucking boomer, like townhouse dinner party, like the things that they're going to say is that, oh, you should really talk about the immigration because I've heard that the working class are very anxious about immigration. Have you heard about Muslims? You know, or about, you know, and then that goes on to the Muslims and that goes on to like, all of this is like, you know, I think Ash Saka from Novara like said this very like cohesively today, um, which was that like, when people talk about Islamophobia, like people who act in bad faith often say, but oh, like, you know, Islamophobia doesn't exist because legitimate criticism of religion is allowed and should be allowed. And Islam isn't a race. And we know we've heard all this stuff before. And these things are in bad faith because as Ash says, like when we talk about, when we actually talk about Islamophobia, what we're talking about is like overlapping of lots of different things and Islamophobia being used by people as a way of like covering up things like legit, you know, racism and things like that. So when people say that, Oh, I have a right to criticize Islam. Like the question that should be asked as well, you haven't really done a lot of like theological criticism. And if you really wanted to kind of, if you really wanted to respect the fact that like, the right to criticize religion, then you should understand that in Islam, like there have been centuries upon centuries of criticism. Like you go into any Islamic bookshop, there's like hundreds of books and all these books are commentary. And, you know, and if you're able to read Arabic or even if you read the English translation, what you find is that all these like books criticize, you know, 
scholar, you know, scholastic works that happened before it. Like that's the whole point of revisionism. That's the whole point of like why you have different interpretations of religious text. When they talk about I want to criticize Islam, what they actually mean is I really want to make letterbox jokes and ninja jokes at dinner parties. I would like you to imagine my shock for a it's, moment. Right. <laughs> it's that any limitation on anything I say or think, even a social one is unforgivable. Right. So basically the, yeah, their, their take becomes instead of criticism of Islam f- along any kind of lines of what you're describing, like religious insight, it just becomes, I want to say Islam is a cancer or I want to say Muslims shouldn't exist. Or I want to say if more than 2% of the population is Muslim, then we're going to become a caliphate. Well, also all those things. Yeah, like Sweden. If you were to say this about any other religion, any other, rather I should say, if you were to say this about any other minority religion, if you said it about Christianity, you would definitely offend people, but I feel like you, you would be you would be offending a minority in a country. But even, even with like new atheists, cause like as, as every, as every Muslim teenager who grew up in the South, like I did my flirtations with new atheism, <laughs> um, you know, you know, Christopher Hitchens, uh, he, you know, he was my G like back when I was 14, even with Christian, even with Christianity, like the criticism of Christianity was literally that it was like criticizing theological components of Christianity. It was criticizing like particular ideas around like, you know, say Catholic guilt or, um, you know, talking about, you know, there was never, there was never like this real kind of visceral attack on Christians or being like, oh, this place has like so many churches that it might as well be like the Vatican or something like that. Right. It was a very, you know, for the most part, even, even like the worst aspects of new atheism treated Christianity with a lot of respect so much so that even, you know, even like people like Sam Harris now, will say very openly that, oh, like, even though I'm not a religious person, I don't think I ever will be a religious person. I think that there's like value in Christianity and like people like Dave Rubin have done the same thing. Obviously Jordan Peterson who like caused, well, Jordan Peterson tried to get like a fucking what, like a um, fellowship at <laughs> Cambridge Divinity School. And when it was, re- and when it was rejected, rejected, you had all these kind of athe- his atheist fanboys getting angry at the divinity department um, because Professor Peterson just wanted to study religion. Well, it's the the key is is that we is that we and the people we agree with need no justification because our existence, whether it's the 4chan incel poster or the forty year old Marc Francois voter or whatever, uh, our existence was justified by Charlemagne because we have the legacy of white supremacy or of colonialism or even just of the blitz spirit. They have literally anything they can remember as being so wonderful. But really, it's that they want to regress to childhood and they're willing to kill anyone to do it. Right. Like It's not even about religious criticism for them. I mean, you remember it's I can't. They, there was the same guy that this home office guy the other day who when he saw a a Middle Eastern convert to Christianity trying to claim asylum status in the UK because it would be unsafe for him to go back uh, to his country as an apostate, I'm not sure where he came from, so I won't, I won't guess. I can't recall. But um, they said, nope, Christianity actually is a violent religion. Have you ever actually read the Bible? It says a lot of stuff in Leviticus, whatever, which is that really this is just a bunch of, a bunch of people who have grabbed a small amount of power and they want to everyone else to justify their right to be alive because they're the ones who get to decide. And you know what? Every single force in our society, the police, the newspapers, the, the, the politics, even fucking landlords, energy companies, everybody has basically just gone along with it. 
just going along with the narrative of, yep, everyone else needs to constantly justify their existence here. Well, the thing is, Riley, Maidstone is full. All the foreigners want to come there and we can't let it happen. You know, Maidstone has to retain its character. So when I say... How will will all the shitty clubs in Maidstone, like, stay, have, you know, retain their character? What if the Muslims come in and make it into, turn it into mosques? Yeah, it's it's that they want, they they want a pure white society. You can't have a halal oceana, They want... They want a pure white society so that their their horrible chain like town pubs, their youngs or their spoons or whatever, will stay full of white people saying, owned by white people, worked in by white people. All I'm saying is Dartford is about to have its first wagamamas. Is that not kind of ethnically enriching enough? <laughs> so I, I know we try not to actually read from Brendan O'Neill on this show at all, but I thought this was one when we say these at this point. It's just about the desperate need of of these old white men to never be criticized, but to have the freedom to say anything they say and do anything they want at any cost, and the willingness to burn down the entire world to do it. Before I we do that, can I just alone. address the fact that um, I was enjoying listening to all of Hussein's very intelligent points, but at some point towards the end of them, I just noticed that Hussein is wearing one shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Like some kind of 19th century prospector lost in the desert. Look, look. regulating your body temperature. No, I want. No, fuck off, fuck off. I want. I want. I want to explain this. Right? Is this on purpose? It might be on purpose. Let me explain. Yeah, the other let shoe me, is there. He's yeah, just not wearing let, it. Let me. Let me. God, you're a bizarre man. Let me. Let, let me explain this to the listeners who, because you're trying to shoe shame me right now. But in our nuclear bunker. It is very yeah. warm and we don't have air conditioning. <laughs> we have this weird window, which I don't think actually works. So you have to regulate your body temperature. Now I have more body hair than every one of these other men sitting on this table right now combined. Right. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't I get, go so far to say that about Riley, to be honest with you. It doesn't count because you're white. Okay. <laughs> uh, more anti-white racism. <laughs> uh, whatever. This is a, this is the, this is trigger pod now. We're now the Trigonometry Podcast. I'm constantly guessing now. You turn me ra- by saying that I'm white. You turn me racist. Taking you're saying so you're taking a break from kissing your dad to tell me that actually I'm being anti-white for claiming that I have more body hair. And the truth is, is that you know facts over feelings, guys. You don't actually have more body hair. It's just that like yours is more visible. Mm. Damn. Damn, triggered. Whoa, that's deep. Uh, this is this is I, just anyway. no. This is just anti-white phrenology. Right. Anyway, yeah. if you have like one shoe and one sock on and one shoe and one sock off, then like you get you can get like a better kind of temperature balance. Are you staring at my feet? I'm amazed. I assumed sake. that you'd taken it off to send some feet pics. Oh yeah, that too. That's 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 I, I, I thought you were, you were getting around to taking off your second shoe and you got lost in thought. And you just, you just, you, you so wanted to make a point that you're like, I will get to taking my other shoe off later. I mean, that's like more accurate, but also like, I might just keep doing this just to like prove my point. Anyway, mm. I do have a secret Patreon where I do put feet, uh, the, where I do post feet pics. Okay. DM me if you want to find out more. So here's, here's what Brendan says. What has been moving on? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Yo, do you want to lead this podcast? Where would we be? We, we would still be talking about those album covers. Probably. I don't know. Actually, you brought those up. <laughs> you did. Brendan says, 
What has been extraordinary in the aftermath of the deranged racist swat slaughter in two mosques in New Zealand has been the way the chattering classes in Western countries... He actually said the chattering classes. Yeah, Amazing. <laughs> ...have instructed us to do the kind of thing they tell us not to do in the wakes of Islamist terror. The instruction from our betters has been the same every time. Don't get angry, they say. Don't exaggerate the threat of terrorism, they counsel. And don't dare suggest that any book or idea, whether it is the Quran itself or pamphlets handed out at the more questionable mosques contributed to this attack. These killers have nothing to do with Islam, as the tiresome silencing mantra goes. Our role after Islamist terror is to manage our anger, put politics on hold, lay a flower or two, and then go back to our everyday lives. And the thing is, Brendan, you know what? Yep. Yes. You're right. You were trying to be sarcastic, but you just said the thing that we should do, but you didn't say the last thing that we should do, which is try to get our militaries um, out of the Middle East, probably. And bring them all into a bunker where they'll be <laughs> safe and secure under the command of uh, Colonel Marc Francois. I mean, I mean, it's also just like a really bad understanding of like extremism and terrorism because our response as a country has never been to keep calm and carry on as those weird posters which were rolled out at a very specifically weird time. <laughs> Those MI5 posters. <laughs> were like, tell us to do, right? Like the immediate response after a terrorist attack is to kind of show like some respect and some decency, right? And like after every attack, including the one, the one in New Zealand that happened, but also like the London Bridge terror attack, the, um, there was that, there was, you know, the Westminster Bridge terrorist attack, like that always happened. But the actual response this country has done is that they've built this entire infrastructure this very expensive counterterrorism infrastructure, a lot of which is very questionable, that collects a lot of personal data, that has really impacted our lives in a way that I feel that very few people actually understand to the full extent. Like that has been the response to terrorism, right? The response to terrorism has been like innocent people who have been shot at train stations. Um, the response to terrorism has been lots of people who have been thrown into Guantanamo Bay or like, you know, other like supermax prisons. Uh, without a lot of evidence to prove that, you know, on the other, you know, again, when we talk about the male, we talk about, you know, what's his name? Um, uh, Shaka, you know, Shakarama, for example, who was in, um, who was in Guantanamo Bay alongside other prisons, despite there being very little evidence he was involved in any sort of extremist activity, like violent extremist activity. Um, so like the fact that, you know, the way that he says it in terms of like, oh, like when, and when a Muslim person attacks, like, we're told to kind of just like, don't worry about it. Like, don't, you know, just ignore it. Don't talk about it. This, our free speech is the most important thing. Meanwhile, like people who have worked in extremist like environments and like, you know, whether those are like analysts or whether they are like even kind of security people have said that like white nationalist terrorism is this huge problem. And it's even more huge because whereas with Islamist terrorism, there was always like a network that sort of existed so, you know, people who would carry out these attacks would usually tend to kind of, you know, pledge allegiance to a group like the Islamic State or Al-Qaeda or like, you know, to be in conjunction with them. You would have like people operating in terror cells. You would have, you know, the whole like terrorist infrastructure around right um, Islamist extremism has always been built within like a network framework. The difference as the New Zealand attack showed us, but also like future attacks will continue to show is that white nationalist extremism is massively decentralized. It's massively disorganized. It's going to be like 
it's going to be um, run by people who aren't like part of bigger movements, but because white nationalism is very much like a nihilistic movement, it will be one that will be run by like unhinged individuals who have been radicalized by white nationalist propaganda online. But it's super hard to detect, especially when so much of like that process, that conveyor belt that leads to that extremist attack starts with like positions that our ruling government already believe in, in regards to, you know, immigrants, in regards to immigrant detention, in regards to, um, you know, the security state, like all these things, you know, so, so many people are like, oh, the government like really needs to understand the grievances of white nationalist groups. If we're going to tackle this problem, well, like that's the big fucking problem. Like they not only do they understand it, but like loads of people already agree with most of them, which is why I kind of said when the attack happened that, you know, the pundits don't really have a problem with what this guy believed or like what this attacker like actually listened to. They agree with a lot of what's in his manifesto. What they didn't want was that like he would then act on it because like it sort of ruins the middle-class aesthetic that they've kind of cultivated for so long. Well, you say it's decentralized, but it's, it's not decentralized. It's, it's there. It's just, it's legal. It's the spectator. It's the daily mail. It's it's GCHQ. It's all, it is, it, it is there that the white nationalist terrorist network isn't hidden. It's there. It's just being sold at a news agent. To be fair to GCHQ, they're listening to absolutely everything except the Spectator podcast because the audio is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Lads, like, I don't understand. Like, you have money. You have, like, a decent room. Like, but why are you using, like, fucking, like, Blue Yeti mics, man? So GCHQ won't listen. But, like, they've oh, already... Oh, they're actually, like, smart. Yeah. <laughs> we've invested, like... Damn. So we've, 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 Damn. Got, we've got, like, loads of fancy equipment and we're just getting owned by, like, some guy outside of, like, Whitechapel Fried Chicken listening to, like, everything we record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, it's true. It's, they are centralized. It's just they're legal. And it is... Ultimately, if you're going to be a right-wing white white nationalist terrorist yeah. in the UK or US or Canada or Australia or New Zealand, then no one is ever then we are not allowed to ask why you did it or what motivated you because the thing is, it's obvious. It's right there in front of you and all of us are being asked to just put down our rational faculties to see the things that we know to be true and just pretend they're not and to just deny the evidence of our own eyes. But then they also go to like a really extreme thing. So like Julia Hartley Brewer, for example, when I, the show. When, yeah, very normal person. Very, friend, very good friend of the when, show. When, when Nazreen Malik, a, a very good columnist, the guardian kind of pointed out that, you know, you in, in like in a column you wrote for the mail, you said that you were sick and tired of having Islam rammed down our throats. And then you went on this tirade about like women, like a small number of women in this country who like wear face veils um, and saying that like they weren't integrating properly or like they weren't kind of, you know, you know, basically insinuating that, you know, they were not real, you know, British people. All I had to do about the, the all I have to say about that complaint about not having Islam ran, rammed down our throats is that Alice needs to stop writing columns. Yes. So like Julia, Julia said to me online that like, you know, she kind of just really freaked out. She was like, I will criticize anything if I want to, and you will not shut down my free speech. And like, what are you saying? But like, no one who has any direct experience with anything should write about stuff. And like, on the one hand, I'm like, well, actually, like, yeah, maybe yes. Like, maybe like, if you don't know stuff, you shouldn't write about it. Like that's... Well, she doesn't want to know. Right. But this is thing. another thing too. It's kind of like, they kind of go to this really big extreme of... Uh, you know, by critic by even making like the mildest criticism of me and my work, 
what you're actually doing is like causing violence to me by shutting down my free speech. And it's sort of like, well, okay, at this particular time, like I'm sort of wondering who who's more of the victim, like someone who has been told that they're writing like kind of sucks a bit or people who have literally been shot and killed who didn't have platforms on like big radio shows. Oh, it's the person who's writing. They said they suck. Definitely. Right. As, 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 yeah. Brendan, as Brendan said at the beginning, like yeah. the real victims are actually the, the real victim is free speech. Mm. Um, that's, that's another example of the sort of awful, awful powers of our podcast. The real is victim is society. Is that I, I, after the wake of that happened, I was like, here's what all the headlines are going to be. Here's the spectator headline. The spiked headline I made up as a joke was that the real victim of the Christchurch shooter is free speech. And then Brendan wrote it. He wrote the article I made up as a joke. It's a, we have a very symbiotic relationship with Brendan. It's like it's like a like a yin and yang kind of thing. Like whatever we do, Brendan has to do the opposite. And I don't know who, or maybe it's whatever Brendan does, we have to do the opposite. I don't know. I'm not sure who's in control. But, here, but there here, seems to be a kind of cosmic balance to it. Here, well, here's the other side of the cosmic balance. And this is where the void comes in, mm. which is that on 8chan, where this guy, the New Zealand shooter guy was, twice was radicalized. Well, sort of. Um, all the posts around him in response to like what he was doing and stuff were guys who were telling each other and themselves that as you're seeing this guy commit a massacre, and if you feel any emotion, you have to crush it. You have to stop yourself from feeling any compassion because that's going to stop you eventually doing what needs to be done. And that Posters these, lead the way. these are people who are being led here by legitimate, trustworthy columnists in the Sun or the Daily Mail or on Fox News or whatever. And they have been sold this story that's designed to scare grandparents but it scared them too, or it's driven them insane, or they now are diseased with nostalgia. And now they see the need to sacrifice their own humanity and their own capacity to even just have the barest respect for one another's lives. And they're crushing it into oblivion in service of nothing in service of the void. Who was the, who was the politician who said in the wake of the Christchurch thing, um, it like oh, it's always it's terrible to see people resorting to oh, resorting to violence. Fraser Anning. Um, he's like there are democratic ways of achieving your aims. It's like <laughs> oh yes, a democratic, democratically voting for well, actually, all the Muslims in camps. Well, actually, or whatever, like there were a, there were a lot of people who kind of made comments that were very much like that, and it yeah. kind of just brings back to the thing. It's like okay, these people genuinely do believe most of what this shooter believed in as well. Like if this. You know, you know what it brought me back to, and I know I this is like it hates. I hate to bring this up, but it was like sort of when the 2016 presidential election campaign happened, and Hillary Clinton made that speech about the basket of deplorables, and then lots of like the Republicans were like, "Oh, you know, well, to me, the deplorables." When she meant by the deplorables, she meant like the 4chan idiots, right? Now she said it in a really bad way, in like a very bizarre and strange way, but what the Republican party or like Republican party officials then did was to say that, Oh, you know, we, we have space for like, if you consider yourself a deplorable, then like you have a space in our party. Like we understand that actually what you are is like a well-meaning conservative who just has like concerns about immigration and maybe a few race issues, but like, and you may know, or may not be constantly kissing your dad. <laughs> may, you may or may not be constantly kissing your dad. Yeah, but they, they, um, but, but they proudly call themselves the plot. Like, they now 
love the idea right. of jettisoning, jettisoning morality to win this grand cultural but this, but, fight. But this, but this is this is what I was. Yeah, go on. I, I think the thing I would point out is that everywhere from Fox News to the Daily Mail online to military themed websites to live leak style websites. We're just flush with people commenting positively on this. And even when the news story was reporting like tragedy in New Zealand, it was just, ha ha, laughing my way down to the chip shop. There should be more of them, et cetera. Like, glad this guy killed Muslims. Let's kill more of them. Like that kind of commentary was everywhere. You know, I saw it on uh, Task and Purpose, the military themes website. I saw it on stuff like Popular Military. I saw it on, um, on, obviously on Fox News. And I think the thing about it is, there's this mask that respectable conservatives feel they, 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 they decide to put on in instances like this, where it's like, let's not rush to judgment. Let's not pretend like this is, this is a diseased individual. Uh, it's not wrong to criticize, you know, to have concerns about immigration, et cetera. But basically much like the basket of deplorables thing, and much like so many instances of stuff where Trump just says the, the quiet part loud, their followers see right through it. They don't look at this and be like, oh, yes, this is, you know, my valid concern about immigration. They're like, no, fucking kill them all. Send them all back to wherever. Like, that's what they believe. And when they see, whether it's in The Spectator or it's on Fox News or it's in the Daily Mail or it's in something more vulgar or it's on 8chan, no matter where it is, like, they are just on some gradation, on some, uh, on a spectrum of messaging and optics, but the, the underlying content is all the same. It's all treating them as this other that must be destroyed. Like they want to destroy you. So you have to destroy them first. You know, whether it's the Swiss being like, you know, no, you're not allowed to have minarets on your mosques and you're not allowed to have speakers for, for the Azan. Or whether it's like Hussein, you were talking about this, that like, it's just so common at this point in the UK that if you try to build a new mosque, they'll just deny your planning permission. Right. No matter what it is, like wherever the messaging is, it's all the same content. It's treating Muslims like subhumans and saying they have to be destroyed in order to save your nation and restore it to greatness. And this guy is shooting people. That's just the far end of the spectrum. But even on the, on the, the opposite end of the spectrum, it's still the same content and they all know it. And that's the thing is that it's just so craven. And that's what it shocks me about it and frustrates me about it is that they all fucking know it or they're so terminally dumb that they just shouldn't be allowed in front of a fucking computer because they're just, they're going to accidentally stab themselves in the dick trying to repair a battery or something. I mean, so, like, I mean no so, one's ever actually yeah. hurt themselves with Clippy before, but I'm sure they'd manage. I mean, so much of this is also just like the thing that I observed the most was just this very, very insightful look into kind of what the nature of British media is and how protective they are of each other so much so that they're willing to kind of they're willing to let people die to kind of maintain this industry. And I'm sure that if any of these respectable people hear it, they'll be, you know, outraged by it. They'll be like, how, how can you accuse me an individual of, um, you know, of, of, of wanting people to die? Like, are you saying that I condone terrorism? And to a certain degree, like, I think for certain people, yes, yeah, like, you do, yeah. you absolutely yeah. do. You, you you know, know, they do. They, because whether or not they recognize it, right. they condone it because it like, do be like that though, <laughs> you know, because even with Islamist terrorism and, you know, it's been a decade of like the war on terror has gone on for over a decade. And during that time, almost everyone in every community has really had to reckon like in the Muslim community has really had to reckon with like everything that happened. Right. In, you know, when, when this war on terror was going on, like actually what was very interesting was that there were lots of Muslim communities who were very supportive of the war on terror to begin with. They were like, if you're going to like legitimately eradicate extremists, then we support you because these people have tormented us as much as they've, as, as they've tormented you. Um, you know, and it's kind of really bizarre to think about now, but actually even in my own community, like in the early two thousands, like 
a lot of a lot of our community members supported the Iraq war for this reason. Um, we've always had to sort of compromise, even when we've known that, oh, this is going to have huge implications for the rest of us. It's only been younger generations that have been able to see through this and be like, oh, actually, when we're talking about war on terror, what they're meaning is like all of us are implicated. And as the war on terror has gone on, like, as I said earlier, you know, you have like very well-funded think tanks, some of whom have writers like Douglas Murray, who like, you know, Douglas Murray is a nominally like head of uh, like a nominal head of like the Henry Jackson society or something like that. He has a column on the spectator, his whole book about, you know, the death of Europe is fundamentally rooted in the idea that like as Muslims move into Europe, like it's becoming less European and it's becoming more like quote unquote, Eurabia. Um, now he kind of like butters it up with a bunch of other stuff, like, you know, closures of churches and everything, but his main argument, even buy the child pornography, no chocolate store anymore. They say they don't like it. His main argument is fluttered in this like kind of conservative language of like mass immigration is causing, you know, the decline of like decline, the decline of Europe. And even though the statistics don't prove it, actually the people who make the statistics are, you know, biased and they're racist against white people. But Hey, if you go down to Whitechapel High Street, you'll see exactly what I mean. Just to, to bring this back around again, there's no pleasing them. No. There's nothing that they want that it's possible to give them. And you know what else is? There's going to be more of it. Yeah. There's going to be more here. There, there already are threats of it in Birmingham. Um, and, and there already have even like even in, in, in not obviously not so even not such as, as harmful a way, but there have been more and more physical threats and attacks made against MPs as like furors whipped up against them. And then when things inevitably get worse soon, it's going to be the same people who are blamed. Oh, we no deal. Brexit would have been great, but the Muslims somehow stopped it from being good. And there are going to be more attacks. I think actually there is pleasing Mark Francois. I think the scenario that I think would finally calm him down would be if we got a load of children, right? And we dressed them up as members of the European Commission and sort of placed them on top of a hill in a kind of machine gun nest. And what they were doing was firing paintballs down at Mark (laughs) Francois. Meanwhile, he has an assault rifle loaded with live ammunition. And and he's dressed up as an army man. And him and some of his friends get to to charge up the hill and shoot all of these children in the face with live rounds as they pathetically blast at them with paintball guns and shout something about the Belgians and then they all get awarded um, the Victoria Cross by Katie Hopkins who's now the Queen for some reason I mean, I think, I mean the Victoria Cross really is just a participation trophy isn't it <laughs> <laughs> holy shit <laughs> oof oof maroon oh fuck me you can decide that, whoever you want to you, you know, we're keeping that we're spicy we're I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna have, like, I'm gonna have like all these army people like in my DMs threatening to like start a war with me <laughs> I was like sir sir the Victoria Cross is a participation trophy but I'll tell you what's true meritocracy the ISIS flag <laughs> <laughs> I'm so good. I'm, I'm going to get arrested. I'm definitely getting arrested next week. Woo! Wow, that is one. That I'm. I, I don't know about you guys. I am. I think I have to go to bed or go on vacation or <laughs> something. I don't know whether to be bummed yeah. out at, at this point. Um, like writing the notes for this episode was a real fucking bummer because mm-hmm. you just have to look at most at at most of our societies just 
looking into a void and putting their dicks in it. Um, and yeah. that's where we are. And that's where we're going. And I don't really see a way out of it. In some ways, I'm kind of geared up for the void. Like, I don't own property. I don't really have any money. Like, I mean, fuck it. You know, yeah. we'll just thrust ourselves onto the void and see what happens. In the grand scheme of things, I mean, I'm not a landlord. I'm not a small business owner. We can all live here and just have one big towel if we have to. I yeah. mean, like, what's the worst that could happen? We have a studio. We have a PS4 that we haven't hooked up. We have a towel. Fuck it. Yeah. Bring on the fucking void. Yeah. We can podcast through the void, bitch. Uh, plug from me tomorrow on the 27th of March it'll be uh, there's a smoke comedy where the headliners are Moon and also a classic friend of the show Olga Koch is going to be there so if you like comedy please buy a ticket to that because I'm still homeless so you know bear that in mind uh, link in the description as always and as ever we're going to be at as ever as ever as until once. April I mean we'll see what's maybe we're in the void at this point mm. if we're not in the void then we're going to be at Bristol Trans formed on the 5th of april if you live in bristol or live near bristol mm. do come to that it's going to be the friday night but you get entry to the show if you have a ticket to same to bristol transformed i have a book pre-order my book <laughs> oh, yeah, please you have a book now. i have i have things to public i have things to push <laughs> um, I, have, I have bills to pay buy my book yeah it's in my bios um i need to pay for family court so that i can see my wife's boyfriend and see my kids again mm. um the book is good the book is good, so buy it, please. It's got pen and pixel art on the front. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm writing to my publishers right now. We've had a fight about the cover for a long time, but I'm going to say, look, I know that like it's a month until publication, but I want to change the picture. I want to change the front cover to um to brendan o'neill in ed impala with ludicrous with like ver with random like email phones around him um, <laughs> some rottweilers and, like, oh yeah rottweilers bitcoins a shark just anything that's mm. it that's all of society now we now we live you know what it is that's what it is we live in a pen pixel album art cover because we live in these people's dreams of the past and that's fucking fine <laughs> end it there Thank <music> you.